You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, folks, and uh, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Steno from Real Vision, sending to you live on the heels of the US CPI report. The peak is in, in inflation, at least in uh, my humble opinion. And that is also uh, what we've been told, I think, by various surveys over the past month. And unless SMEs are not telling the truth, then I guess it is fair to assume that uh, the trend is now down for the time being in headline inflation. But uh, I've invited a couple of tremendous analysts to um, to help us unpack the inflation environment and whether I'm right in this bold statement. So uh, first of all, welcome back to the show to you, Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro. Andreas, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good, and I hope you're good as well. And uh, also welcome uh, to you, Weston Nakamura, uh, the market editor at Real Vision. Thank you. Well, uh, how are you, gentlemen? Good. I mean, uh, guys, guys, I'll give you the chance to uh, comment on my uh, slightly cocky message that uh, inflation has already peaked. Darius, um, do you concur with that view? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's very clear that inflation has peaked. I mean, if we could throw up a couple charts to... Um, to kind of elucidate this from a data standpoint, uh, Claire, if you don't mind, don't have to start 76. Uh, starting with that one, we were show all the sort of various uh, key categories of headline inflation. So we saw headline CPI uh, roll over 140 basis points when you look at it on a three-month annualized basis to 9.2%, obviously still very high relative to the pre-COVID trend, but that's a pretty sharp deceleration. Uh, foods inflation actually accelerated 90 basis points, so that's moving in the wrong direction. But clearly, what's driving the big rollover in headline is this uh, big, big sharp deceleration in energy CPI off 100 or 830 basis points uh, to 26.5% on a three-month annualized basis. But to me, I think it's less about the headline that the markets are celebrating, and really, it's about the dynamics and core. Uh, Claire, if you throw up slide 77 as well, uh, we saw core CPI roll over 100 basis points on a three-month annualized basis to 6.6%. Now, per Charles Evren, who spoke after the report, he's the Chicago Fed uh, um, Chicago Fed president, still unacceptably high at 6.6% relative to the pre-COVID trend of 2.1%, but obviously moving in the right direction. Um, and what I thought was the most important in, in, the, in the inflation report is this breakdown we saw in core services uh, inflation off 150 basis points to 6.7%. So to answer your question, my friend, uh, when you get breakdowns like this on a momentum basis, it portends very good news on a, on a go-forward basis from the perspective of the year-over-year time series. 
Weston, I will also allow you to unpack the market dynamics around this inflation print. Um, what's been on your radar across assets? Yeah, so um, I'm just going to... I'm not going to follow Darius with that. <laughs> so what I'm going <laughs> to do is I'm just going to give kind of just this very broad cross-asset sort of reaction uh, to, to what we had with the CPI print. And the reason is because, as I said on Monday, as I mentioned on Monday, you know, so Jay Powell at the last FOMC, along, you know, following Christine Lagarde, basically he killed off forward guidance. And he's saying that we are going to take this month by month and we're going to take it meeting by meeting. And so essentially what that means is that when you have, if he's going to be data dependent, when you have data, especially CPI um, prints coming out, that is essentially the new FOMC, like Fed uh, Powell press conference, if you will. Um, if this is how he's choosing to, you know, to to express what uh, the Fed is going to follow. So we had a more or less a, you know, a, a meeting or a, a press conference this morning um, and markets were certainly sort of very much pent up for that. And you saw some significant moves, especially in futures markets um, on some significant volume. Um, and so but before I get to that, I just want to before I, I forget myself, uh, I just want to remind people that um if these are these data prints are these sort of FOMC like press conferences, if you will, then uh, we have to keep in mind that this is not there is one more uh, CPI print that will come before the next September FOMC um, the FOMC uh, meeting. Right. So we have uh, I believe it's on the 21st is the FOMC announcement. But the CPI for um, for this month is going to be on the 13th. So the way that I'm kind of looking at it, you know, in terms of a month month over month, the CPI today versus September is the month of month over month that really matters. Um, but so with that said, just in terms of like kind of price action that really, uh, you know, caught my attention. Obviously, so we saw a massive rally in Nasdaq futures were up two percent right upon the um, the the release itself. Uh, VIX cracked, you know, below the twenty handle intraday today. Um, and so obviously, you know, equities were equities, risk assets, Bitcoin, all that were uh, were, were flying quite, quite high uh, in terms of the bond market, however, though. So five year break evens that fell back towards its sort of, sort of recent lows of, you know, two and a half. Um, but five year, five year inflation swaps, those inched higher to I think it's uh, about two, a little bit over two and a half. Right. So slightly above recent lows. Um, and those were kind of more in line with the Fed's like 2% PC target, right? Um, so I'm watching that, and I'm also watching the dollar. And so DXY broke the 50-day uh, moving average, um, but it's not just a you know a dollar sell-off story in itself of itself. Probably going to guess I'm going to be looking at the yen. It's also a yen buying story. You know we saw dollar yen drop you know one and a half percent upon the the release. Um, uh, Euro Euro yen also dropped you know half percent or so. Um, so this is also a lot of uh, yen short covering as well, um, and basically people kind of closing out that uh, policy spread between the the FOMC or the Fed and, and the BOJ as well. So a lot of moving parts, um, but you know, like I said, we still have um, PPI tomorrow. We still have another one of these prints uh, ahead of that um, the next uh, September meeting. Darius, we have equities up, uh, we have a weaker dollar, uh, and we have slightly lower bond yields over the past couple of weeks here. I guess that's the textbook market reaction to the mixture of data that we've received over the past couple of weeks. 
Yeah, no, I mean, to, to be very clear, I mean, the data we've gotten for July to date, uh, particularly on the hard data front, uh, or at least on the main, the primary indicators, have uh, been very clearly Goldilocks. I mean, if you look at, it sort of started last week with the uh, the ISM services print, uh, big positive surprise. It was a very healthy print from the perspective of the internals, followed by the jobs report, which obviously was a gangbusters report. Uh, whether or not you believe it or not is irrelevant from my perspective as a, as a risk manager. And then obviously today we get this very dovish inflation reading. And so when you add those three factors together, it's pretty clear that the market's been trading like Goldilocks really since the kind of late late June. Um, and this is obviously we're getting kind of the, the river card here from an economic data standpoint. Um, you know, one thing I think uh, that's been very instructive, uh, at least for markets today, uh, was this sort of breakdown in some of the leading drivers of core PCE. Um, and Claire, if you put that chart slide 79 up, uh, where we show trim mean PCE inflation, median CPI, sticky CPI and core PCE, and we're showing these all on a month-over-month -month annualized rate of change basis as opposed to a three-month annualized. And the reason we're showing these particular indicators on a month-over-month -month annualized is because we think uh, this is a market that's looking for the easiest, quickest path out of to the, the tightening scenario. And so, you know, the, we're, we're trying to find the, the kind of the, you know, when do these indicators get you to a level that would seem to suggest the Fed will be comfortable finally, you know, instituting the the, the famed policy pivot that everyone thinks has, has already happened. Uh, but I draw your attention in this particular chart on slide 79 to the two clusters of bars in the middle of the chart. Uh, median CPI, which uh, the Cleveland Fed maintains, that number declined 250 basis points to 6.3% month on month annualized. That's a sharp slowdown. Um, and this is median CPI across everything in the in the broader basket. Now, obviously, at 6.3% a month on month annualized, we're way north of the 2.6% the trend we experienced in the pre-COVID uh, era. Uh, but it's, it's obviously a big, big move we've seen in the, in the right direction. So, uh, secondarily, sticky CPI, um, e almost equally as important as a, co as a driver of core PCE, decelerated 270 basis points to 5.4%. Um, these are big moves. And the most important thing about these big moves is that they're happening outside of an actual recession. Typically, what happens uh, in and around the business cycle is that you need the actual sort of, you know, the decline in aggregate demand to cool prices, you know, sticky prices, median prices, core prices, wages, et cetera. And we're not we're not necessarily seeing the kind of traditional order of operations, if you will. We're getting the breakdown in inflation without necessarily seeing the real true organic breakdown in aggregate demand. And that's obviously incredibly positive for asset markets if you think about this and play it forward in terms of the Fed's reaction function. No one's better at unpacking these details than you, uh, Darius. I love it. Um, if we go man. back to <laughs> if we go back to you, Weston, um, if we look at market positioning, uh, I know that you've been looking into the dollar positioning, for example, versus the yen over the past month. Uh, how do you gauge the positioning in uh, dollars and, and, for example, equities post this CPI report? Uh, yeah. So. Um... In terms of positioning, what I'm looking at is like, so the yen, like I've kept saying over and over again, is the sort of the the the, the Fed trade for, for many just because of the fact that, you know, front end euro dollar futures implied volatility is just astronomical to the roof. And so therefore, traditionally, when rates traders would make outright bets on where, you know, uh, Fed uh, funds policy is going to be. Um, and, you know, at what level, at what time and all that at, at this point with with front end vol so high, what they're doing instead, what they have been doing is just playing the policy divergence um, versus the BOJ. You know, this this static, this static um, easing central bank versus a very hawkish, potentially hawkish one. And so as that closes up or as that widens, that kind of gives 
more of a kind of a cleaner read, I suppose, on the overall market sort of view on that. Uh, the short yen position that was like very, very crowded over the last, let's call it two months or so, uh, June and July, that has become much less crowded. However, there is still a massive outstanding position of sh um, short positions uh, on the yen, but the uh, yen has started to re-correlate back with something like DEC 22 euro dollar futures, which they used to move, um, you know, in, in tandem with with um, with dollar yen. So that short squeeze, you know, is initially over from that started with the FOMC meeting itself, then you know, continued on through you know GDP that. Uh, had U.S. and technical recession, so on and so forth. Then started reverse with the, you know, what Darius was mentioning, um, with the um, the the stronger uh, services ISM and so on and so forth. So right now, positioning in in terms of the you know currency markets seems to be still positioned for a uh, for a stronger dollar. So if you start to see that unwind, you know it can actually. I, I think it could really cascade. I don't know at what point and from what angle. I don't know if it's from like, going to be from the euro or from the yen or whatever it is, but they could trigger one another and that could, you know, seriously, um, you know, even short, temporary or short term, it could seriously derail the dollar rally. Um, and that can potentially uh, be, a, you know, another sort of lift to, to risk assets. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. If we look at the latest positioning data, I still think the yen is one of the most hated currencies worldwide. Oh, yeah. While while the positioning um, versus the euro is uh, particularly more square than it is versus the yen uh, when it comes to these dollar futures. I, I wanted to ask you as well, uh, Darius, on, on the question of the dollar. Could this CPI report be a game changer for the whole positive dollar narrative? Yeah, so I mean, so it goes back to so what are the fundamental drivers of the dollar, right? The dollar tends to work in 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 um, two specific scenarios: one, when the U.S. economy is accelerating very aggressively and outperforming the rest of the world, and two, when the rest of the when the U.S. economy is is, is decelerating quite meaningfully alongside the rest of the world. Everything else tends to be a negative dollar event. This is uh sort of this is what we uh, in institutional finance call the dollar smile thesis, and this is born that thesis is def definitely born uh, out of the data. Um, when you think about um, you know the kind of dynamics that could perpetuate a breakdown in the dollar, you need to either see one of two things happen. One, a recovery uh, in the global economy, U.S. and global economies. We don't think that's necessarily a high probability event, just given the lagged impact of tightening we're, we're likely to uh, continue to uh, realize in the economic statistics. Secondarily, you could get a real material slowdown in the pace of deceleration. And that, to me, is kind of the new thing that markets have to discuss and debate because you're talking about a very different set of, you know, sort of annualized expected return profiles for things like the dollar, S&P 500 risk assets broadly. Um, you know, going back to this discussion on median CPI and sticky CPI, actually just put that chart back up, slide 79, Claire. You know, the one thing I would call out is that, you know, we've lost 250, 270 basis points respectively from those time series on a month over month annualized basis. You know, so now we're at 6.3%, we're at 5.4%. If you just linearly extrapolate that kind of 250-ish basis point decline, 
we're going to be right around four and a half percent month over month annualized for core PC. That's a significant deceleration from where we were in the most recent month. Now, the quick question for asset markets is, do we maintain this pace? Because if we maintain this pace, two extremely positive things are going to happen. One, we're going to get core PCE, the Fed's preferred, you know, kind of inflation um, uh, leading indicator to break down to a level that's consistent with them, you know, finally, you know, sort of pivoting uh, from the perspective of their policy. But more importantly, I think possibly equally as importantly, if we get that kind of sustained breakdown in inflation over the next few months, it's going to arrest the rate of decline in the U.S. economy. I mean, after all, a lot of the, dis the, the degradation we've seen uh, thus far has been on a real basis, not on a nominal basis. And so you could actually sort of, um, you know, create uh, a, a optical lift, if you will, to real growth just as a function of that decline in inflation, which, again, is very anomalous. You know, and I'm rambling a little bit here, but let me just land the plane. If you throw up slide uh, 89, uh, you know, we, we were shown the slide in 89. It's, it's a very important chart. Uh, it shows core, the year-over-year rate of change of core PC in the upper panel. And in the uh, two lower panels, we show the 17-month rate of change and the 23-month rate of change. Why those two specific uh, durations? Well, um, the Fed is targeting 2.7% core PCE uh, to end the year end of 2023. So 17 months from now, and then being the nice guy that I am, I'm giving them an extra six months to get to their to get to their forecast. So that's effectively um, 17 to 23 months away. When you look at it on a rate of change basis, we've never seen core PCE decline the kind of decline that they have currently sort of baked into their forecast without experiencing recession. And so this goes back to my point. It, it'll be very anomalous relative to, to market and economic history for inflation to just break down like this without seeing that big breakdown in aggregate demand. But if it happens, it's obviously incredibly bullish. I mean, there's no there's no if ands or buts about that. And bearish for the dollar. Yeah, I think the Fed managed to uh, create a soft landing during the early 90s. Uh, but that's right about the only time in history where they actually managed to do so. What's your implied probability? of an actual soft landing now, Darius? Oh, it's got to be higher. I mean, I, I think mm -hmm. anyone managing risk in financial markets, looking at, you know, the kinds of declines we're seeing in these very key leading indicators, um, you have to acknowledge that the, the the probability of a soft landing is much higher. And if we stick at, you know, minus one to 250 basis points in terms of, you know, shaving that, that, that momentum off of core PCE and core inflation pressure over the next few months, we will be very much at a place where the Fed might feel comfortable uh, backing away. And ultimately, if we if we if we shave too much of inflation off, and again, it's not necessarily our forecast, we're just discussing the scenarios. If we shave too much inflation off between now and year, and the market's going to actually prove the Fed wrong on it, the Fed's own forecast that they won't be cutting rates next year. They won't be doing QA next year because it's going to look like they overdid it um, if you go into the end of the year. Two uh, comments uh, we got out of Fed officials today. Uh, Cash Kari, who's suddenly out of nowhere, become the most hawkish uh, member of the, the Fed FOMC, uh, said even after looking at today's data, which I'm not sure they've uh, analyzed as, as closely as we have at 42 Macro, but you know, if you're just looking at the headline, he's looking at the headline and says, I haven't seen anything that changes his view that you know they need to get rates to more or less 4% by the end of the year and continue hiking into next year. Same story with Charles Evans, uh, the Federal Reserve President uh, out of uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. So, um, you know, the Fed could very easily, like if you continue to play this forward, there is a legitimate plausible path to not only a soft landing, but to an actual Fed pivot where they're supplying the market with liquidity in three to six months. And I think that probability has gone from basically zero two months ago to something that's probably gunned to my head 25, 33%. 
If we uh, take the market reaction at face value, it seems as if the market couldn't care less about these Fed speakers at the moment. So if we assume that we're currently trading the data only and not the Fed speakers, Weston, which kind of data points would you be on the watch for over the coming month or two um, in your trading perspective? Um, yeah, I'm just cross asset wise. So, but we just just um, what uh, just pick up on what Darius said about Evans. He also said that the markets are pricing in monetary policy credibility or concerns of that central banks will go too far. Um, but again, like you said, like as we were talking about, Powell's essentially, you know, he's killed off this concept of like guidance and all that kind of thing. So I don't know why they go out doing these speaking, you know, um, engagements in the first place. So yeah, in terms of markets. Something that I'm actually would like to get your uh, view on, uh, either of your, is the twos tens curve, um, the uh, on on the U.S. Treasury market, and the fact that it is, I mean, it's off of that like minus like fifty basis points level, and you had some volatility in moving around today, but I mean that's still pretty deeply inverted. Um, what do you guys think of that in in the framework of a soft landing? Andres, you take it first. Yeah, I, I, I mean, um, until a couple of weeks ago, I actually thought that this inversion could go even deeper um, because I envisaged a kind of 70s scenario where we had two stands inverting to uh, levels uh, below 100 basis points, basically. Um, and right now, I think the chance of a re-steepening of the yield curve has increased um, alongside what Darius just mentioned on the increasing probability of a soft landing. I think a soft landing would re-increase um, the probability of, of a, a steepening of the yield curve. So I don't think it's crystal clear that the curve will continue to flatten uh, over the coming month or two. But what I still hold as my base case is that the interest rate shock that we saw through the spring uh, will be uh, will prove to be big enough to simply kill off the momentum of the economy with a time lag. Uh, and unusual um, correlations, that time lag will kick in in between late Q4 and early Q1 next year. Uh, so that's basically the period to watch if you are still on a recession watch. Over to you, Darius, comments on this. Yeah, no, look, so the one thing I'll say, I tweeted about this uh, a couple of days ago, which is, you know, when the tens two curves in, inverts, that's when you start doing the research on recessions and trying to understand kind of the range of outcomes uh, that you should anticipate as an investor. When the tens three month curve inverts, that's when you need to start preparing for a recession, you know, making sure your, your network on LinkedIn is doing well, et cetera, because <laughs> that's the actual recession signal. And um, fortuitously for the economy and for asset markets, we have not inverted on the three-month tenure. And we're now starting to get a series of data points, whether it be on the growth side, as I mentioned, ISM services, jobs report, or on the inflation side um, today, obviously, you know, both of those data points are really pushing you out of the direction of further uh, uh, spread uh, narrowing um, from the perspective of both of those curves or uh, uninversion from the perspective of the tens too. So, uh, you know, this is a dynamic and very fluid situation. Uh, one month does not make a trend in the data uh, just as, you know, aggressively as we saw, you know, median CPI, sticky CPI, more likely core PCE and trim mean PCE roll over as quickly in July, you know, that rollover might not be as persistent in, in the coming months. And we might actually stick around, you know, four and a half percent, you know, kind of, um, you know, from a core PC annualized uh, perspective. So, you know, there's a lot going on in the data. It's 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 incredibly difficult to forecast, you know, because we're having a lot of things shock the model that historically have not happened. So it's hard to train the model 
on these kinds of dynamics. But I think the most important thing we need to do as investors is something I said last week, and I'll repeat it. We have to acknowledge that the distribution of probable outcomes, both economically and market-wise, has changed since where it was in June. Um, and as a function of that, you know, your portfolio construction probably should have changed from where it was in June. And if it hasn't, you, you know, you're probably doing the game wrong. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, and in my humble opinion, there's probably a window of, of opportunity right now uh, for both bonds and equities to perform in tandem, um, okay. which doesn't happen that uh, often anymore. Uh, I, I want to throw in a couple of questions from the audience because we have uh, our commentaries uh, on on fire, basically. Um, so um, let's start with a question from Bo. He's asking, if the Nasdaq entered a bull territory today, does that mean that we have a risk of a so-called triple dip recession? Any views on that? Uh, lesson you take that I got nothing on that. I mean, <laughs> those things are like non sequitur, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> if 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 a if a Nasdaq basically pulled out of its bear market is a question, and then so therefore would we would that indicate a a triple dip? Well, I'm sorry, what was the, what was the the, yeah, the, the triple question? a triple dip recession? Based it's on like what a the, tricky definition. Yeah. Um, we haven't even had a, one recession. How are we going to have a triple dip recession? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I, I, yeah, I mean, so I, I don't know. I don't know really how to connect the, the Nasdaq price action to to that per se from from today, especially. But what I will say is that, uh, you know, New York Stock Exchange, you know, short interest data is showing that uh, short interest has declined something like three, three and a half, four percent or so, you know, towards the end of uh, July. So. I mean, a lot of this, what we're seeing right now is not necessarily the new longs per se, um, but it is short covering. And so I would, th there's a huge difference between exiting a position and putting on, you know, a new capital. So I would just be very careful about reading too deeply into something like, you know, the NASDAQ um, and technicals um, with regards to uh, whether or not it's still in bear market territory or, 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 or what have you. Yeah, one quick thing on this, just from a just from a risk manager perspective, don't pay attention to percentage change data or you know the the, the moves and basis points things. That, that stuff is irrelevant from a risk manager perspective. P performance data is is literally irrelevant. You know, if you're trying to do this, um, you know, correctly, you should be using you know obviously different technical and quantitative indicators. But clearly, price changes is not one of those inputs. We have another question from Claudius um, in relation to the CPI report. Um, he's asking you, Darius, whether you think the CPI print today uh, will have an impact on your uh, view of the probability of a new lower low in the S&P upcoming in Q4. Oh, this without question. The, the, this, this report takes uh, removes the left tail risk from the market. Um, and the mm -hmm. reason I say it removes the left tail risk, the, the, the sort of far left tail risk from the market, is because if you know if you if you roll the cards forward. We're now in a discussion about is inflation going to come down fast enough to cause the pivot or if, or or is inflation going to come down fast enough to actually cause growth to bottom out and reaccelerate? 
Like I think the discussion, let's call it six, eight weeks ago, was is inflation going to stay sticky enough to cause the Fed to keep tightening for longer um, than was currently priced in the markets? And I think that particular kind of bear case scenario, you might have to put to bed. I mean, it's very clear we're moving in the right direction. And not only moving in the right direction, we're moving in the right direction with some real severe expediency. Like, again, we just lost 250 basis points from median CPI and 270 basis points from sticky CPI on an annualized basis. Like, this is the kind of stuff that's never happened before outside of recession. So we're in a new game and we have to acknowledge that. Uh, we also have a question from Angus uh, in relation to the so-called shelter costs in the consumer basket. Uh, Darius, I know you have a chart on on shelter costs with you today as well. Um, Angus is asking, um, yeah, Angus is asking us uh, whether the Fed will look through sticky shelter costs if the rest of the CPI index starts decelerating. What's your view on that? Yeah, so I thought it was pretty interesting that we had such a big drawdown in in, in core inflationary pressure, um, core CPI, median, sticky CPI, even though we still saw the continued acceleration in, in shelter uh, inflation. Uh, slide 78 shows, shows our, our model for OER, which looks at the spread between uh, home price appreciation and OER, and historically peaks in that spread have tended to, per se, you know, 18 to 24 month accelerations in shelter inflation. Um, so the model suggests that shelter inflation should be somewhere around, uh, should be peaking uh, in the first quarter of next year. So um, is shelter inflation going to be a thorn in the in the Fed side? Absolutely. And this is, you know, and this is and this is why I say, you know, you, you can't just go all in on the bull case here and, and expecting the kind of breakdown in core inflation momentum we saw to continue. Because, you know, once you start to remove, you know, some of the core goods disinflation that we're seeing um, from, you know, the easing of supply chains. And obviously we saw a pretty significant drawdown in energy. You can't expect that every month. Uh, maybe some people do expect that every month, but we certainly don't expect that every month. You know, you might get to a place where we plateau at something like three to half to four percent core PCE, core CPI on an annualized basis. And that's not good either. Right. Like we're 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 doing what the market is celebrating, moving in the right direction at a very, very rapid pace. That very rapid pace may not continue, and we could be right back where we were in June as it relates to a Fed that is um, that's clearly getting more tight relative to consensus. Angus is also asking Darius whether it's fair to assume that the Fed is on top of shelter costs actually lagging the economic cycle by, say, a year or, or a year and a half. What's your take on that? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the one thing I would say about... Um, Shelter CPI. So we all know that it, it lags from the perspective of how it's collected, but it's also, I mean, you, you can make the case that that that's not a, you know, we sort of all in, in the financial community seem to be dismissing it as if it's like, oh, it already happened. But the reality is it did not already happen. Like, you know, when we see price changes in things like computers and, you know, things like airplane tickets, those things are actually happening in real time. You log online, you log online, you try to buy a new TV, you try to try to buy a new computer, you try to buy a new airplane ticket, you will see the price reflected. But the reality is we're not all changing our lease contracts, our rental contracts every month, every, you know, every month. And so the reality is there needs to actually be a lag to account for the fact that human beings don't renew their leases every month. And so there's, you know, that that lag is is technical, but it also is partially fundamental. So I'm not sure that we as market participants or the Fed should be just dismissing it like it doesn't matter because it is fundamental. Mm. I think that's a very very fair point, uh, Darius. So I guess to sum up on uh, today's inflation debate, um, it seems as if this left-hand side tail risk in equity markets 
has at least somewhat dissipated after this inflation report. Um, it was quite a strong signal that inflation is now fading, even in median and sticky uh, measures, uh, which is an interesting development compared to just a month ago where everybody was talking about higher and higher inflation. And in regards to inflation, uh, most of you out there know that I've made it my trademark uh, to conclude the daily briefing with a meme. And today I made a, sh a small contest on Twitter in relation to the best inflation meme out there uh, and i know we have a few candidates that we can uh, bring up on the screen um so uh <laughs> first of all uh we received a bunch of uh of good candidates uh this one with uh, <laughs> a picture from uh, uh jim carrey saying there is a chance that inflation is now fading i think that's a very fair meme um but secondly we also had a fun meme comparing um uh <laughs> maslow's hierarchy uh to <laughs> uh, to the current um, bull environment, because uh, essentially at the very bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, we have, uh, of course, the need for a bull market. And maybe today's inflation report will actually give us the chance to get that bull market back. Uh, at least it seems as if uh, investors, they find 8.5% inflation to be different from back in March. <laughs> <laughs> Darius, uh, it was a pleasure to host you again. Uh, thanks for joining. Always a pleasure, my friend. It's all about the rate of change, brother. Yeah, it is. Uh, and also good to see you again, Weston. Likewise. Thank you, gentlemen. That was uh, all for the daily briefing today. My colleague Mackie Lake will be back tomorrow with uh, Harry Milandri guesting the show. Thanks for watching out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.